welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Dr. Bo Bruce. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Words like that from Jesus terrify me, to be honest. But it's passages like today's that again remind us that Jesus is serious about things. Yes, Jesus is our brother. Yes, he's been tempted in the same way we have. Yes, he forgives us if we repent. But as he and Paul and others have told us throughout the ages, God cannot tolerate evil. Not because he's like that self-righteous jerk you know who's always telling you how unchristian you are being, but because God is good. Good with a capital G. So good that our word doesn't even begin to capture it. So good that we don't even know what that goodness is. And if we hope to be able to be in God's presence in the age to come, we must be moving toward that goodness in ourselves. Otherwise, we will be condemned, not because God hates us, but because his love is so strong and his goodness so great that we will simply not be able to be around him. These passages are scary, and the lectionary forces us to read and think about them. That way we don't skim over them dismissively when we're reading the Gospels as hyperbole, and these words of Jesus, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will know by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. No, these words are to be taken literally, and so what could they possibly mean? Well, first I want to say that Jesus is not criticizing the scribes and Pharisees. He's saying that indeed they are righteous. They are living in accord with God's law. And let's not forget that Jesus seems to have quite a liking for Pharisees. In fact, striking one down on the Damascus Road to be his apostle to the Gentiles. That Pharisee, who we know is Paul, and who, didn't, who never renounced his Phariseeism to become a disciple of Christ, but as in Acts, we saw him defend himself in front of the Sanhedrin as a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. Paul inherited the kingdom of heaven by taking the foundation of righteousness he had as a Pharisee and building a life in Christ which exceeded it. And in fact, this reading is emphasized by the fact that here Jesus is in a transition during his Sermon on the Mount, where he began by telling his listeners, Think not that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Whosoever then relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But he who does them and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We also hear this throughout Paul's letters, where he emphasizes the importance of the Old Testament scriptures and the Old Testament law as foundational to our understanding of Christianity. And here on the Sermon of the Mount, next Jesus delivers a series of you have heard that it was said, followed by a new commandment. 
And indeed, Jesus is here on a mountain delivering a new law, exceeding that old law delivered to Moses on Mount Sinai. Jesus says, You have heard you shall not kill, but I say everyone who is angry shall be liable to judgment. You have heard you shall not commit adultery, but I say everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. You have heard you shall not swear falsely, but I say do not swear at all. You have heard an eye for an eye, but I say do not resist the one who is evil. You have heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In each of, these, each of these passages, Jesus takes the law that he himself delivered to Moses and then sets a new standard for us Christians to follow. One that doesn't replace in any way the old law, but exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. One that exceeds the Ten Commandments. And in this, God is actually recognizing as, as humankind's collective theosis and growth into his likeness every time. People often want to somehow criticize the Old Testament God as something different, something angry. Yet instead, we have to remember that God understood how people worked. And during that time of the Levitical, that the Levitical law was given by God to the Israelites, people were so savage that an eye for an eye was an unimaginably high standard of goodness to meet. I mean, just look at the story of Jacob's sons and Shechem, where they wipe out an entire city because of Dinah's seduction or rape, even though Hammer and Shechem were repentant about what and even though it seems little has changed, and the world is indeed still a savage place in many ways, quite a bit has changed. And in fact, we see that the world was ready when Christ came to hear his message. As the martyrs themselves proved, they took over an empire by merely turning the other cheek. And as society progresses, God expects more of us. To those who much has been given, much is expected. So how can we even imagine that we can exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees when we can't even seem to follow the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments? Well, first of all, I think very much of what's going on here is that the scribes and Pharisees cared about the outward appearance of what they were doing. And Jesus tells us that God cares about the inward motivation. The other issue with the the scribes and Pharisees and the way that they were doing it, they were doing it for themselves. When really what the, what the law is meant to do is to make us better neighbors, make us closer and more like God. The Pharisees weren't doing it right, and we need to try to do better. And God knows we're ready, and not only that, he's given us all the help we could imagine, giving us the Holy Spirit as our advocate. And we've been imbued as Christians with God's very presence. We have to foster the Holy Spirit in our heart. And only through that will we be able to accomplish all things. So we must repent and be on guard, not just against sin, but against the opportunity of it. We must protect that little bit of godliness in us. 
and water it and feed it so that we can grow more and more into God. So we shouldn't do the right thing because someone says so, not because we want to be good, although that sometimes helps us as a stepping stone along the way, but because we are good. We're by nature good. Because by grace, we've been the grace of God, we've been given the opportunity to truly be good as God is. But we spend our nights and days trying to snuff the spirit out that provides that opportunity. And instead, we need to cup our hands around that tiny flame and save it from the hurricane that surrounds us. So how can we stoke the fire of the Holy Spirit in us? Well, part of the answer is in our lectionary reading today. It says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. If, as we know, in the light of Christ's resurrection, the altar is the place we now commune with God, we're being told that we can't be in communion with God until we're right with our brother. The entire goal of Christian life is to be ever closer in ever closer communion with God and to, there, and to thereby be by grace what God is by nature. We need that communion with God to grow. We need to be fed by the real presence of God in the sacrament of the altar to sustain ourselves on <clears throat> this difficult journey. And to achieve that goal, Jesus tells us that we must first be at peace with our neighbor, outwardly in the fashion of the scribes and Pharisees, but then inwardly, truly at peace, not just a show, but really at peace, not angry in our hearts, even though we say everything is okay, not internally being angry with our brother, lying in our hearts, coveting that which is not ours while acting like everything is okay. Because those things tell us that we're relying on ourselves rather than on God who dwells in us. When we do that, we're smothering the Spirit of God by our pride, our passion, when what we need to be doing is giving the Spirit of God righteousness, real internal righteousness. We must be in communion with our brothers and sisters, sharing everything in common with them, their joys, their sufferings, walking with them, not against them. And then we can begin to commune with God. And only then will we exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees and be able to truly be the presence of Jesus to those around us and bring those around us closer into communion with him. So be mindful when you're angry with your brothers and sisters. And remember that we are to pray for and love our enemies because our fellow man is not our enemy. Instead, the satanic forces that control those around us are. It's our job to drive those evil forces out of ourselves and then from all those around us. I've said before that to do this, we must go beyond the golden rule that Jesus later tells us in his Sermon on the Mount, where he says, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That's what we know as the golden rule. But right there, as he gives the golden rule, he says, that is the law and the prophets. That is the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. So at some, at some level, that golden rule, although very important, is only the beginning. And this is especially true in a society where we find again and again, people try to twist this phrase to mean treat me how I want to be treated, even if I'm walking a path to my own destruction. We know it's not love to let someone walk their own path into hell. And in fact, that is exactly part of what the issue with the Pharisees is. 
They're doing the law to puff themselves up rather than doing it for the good of others. It's a self-righteous reason they're fulfilling the law. When the law was made so that we could instead be good to our neighbors and be more like God. So we do have to follow the golden rule. But Jesus is saying you've got to do a little bit more. You have to do what I call the platinum rule, which is do unto others as God does to you. Do unto others as God does unto you. This is what Christ is exhorting us to do in today's passage as he one-ups each of the Ten Commandments. God doesn't get angry without cause. and God turns the other cheek. We see that in Micah. Christ is the bridegroom of the church, which he loves faithfully. As we heard today, the one who calls you is faithful. He will do it in 1 Thessalonians. God does not require an eye for an eye. Instead, he forgets all of our sins and doesn't even keep a record of them. God even loves his enemies. St. Paul says, For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Here we see that everything Jesus asks of us, he already does as God. And if we are to transform ourselves to be more like God, as we do that, we will be doing the very things that Jesus said. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit, God, is there to help us. And all things are possible with him. Imagine what our world would be like if instead of merely treating others as we wish to be treated, we treated them as God does, with self-sacrificing love and mercy. And if we just truly let wrongs roll off of us like God does, and respond with forgiveness rather than vengeance, if instead of shouting the equivalent of Raka or you fool at that person who cuts us off on the highway, we said a prayer for them. And this sounds like a tall order. It is. And it's not going to be any easier for me than I imagine it will be for you. So we might be getting a little discouraged at this point, but we shouldn't. We need to remember what Father Michael said last week. All God expects is that we really do the best we can. And so let's leave today with the mission of doing unto others as God does unto us. It won't be easy, but as we do it, we'll grow closer to our neighbor and show them the true love of God, which can do nothing but draw them into closer communion with their Creator and Savior. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and Reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.